What is up, Spokane? Matt and Jessica Side coming to you live <laughs> in another episode of Ever Real Talks. That's a throwback to uh, five or six years ago when our son used to do YouTube videos. You yes. can look him up, Rock Solid Gaming. What is that? <laughs> Check it out on YouTube. He, he He's did got like 25 He's... views on his Black Ops 3 uh, yeah, play. Yeah, he used to do that. And we were... <laughs> We were, of course, she's 18 now, and so we were watching it. And funny thing is, is that our eight-year-old, nine-year-old, didn't really realize he had a channel. I guess it just must have passed him by. So he was absolutely fascinated by the fact that his brother had done this at, a, I think he was around 12 or 13 years old, and he started every episode. What is up, guys? Rock Solid Gaming here. So it's pretty that's, adorable. I didn't mostly know you were gonna do if that. you're the parent. So yes. yeah. <laughs> today we are going to talk about one of the most important parts of the home buying process, and that is the inspection. But mm -hmm. before we get into that, Jessica, what's on your mind these days? Well, you know, I, I definitely sometimes I'm a free thinker, like my mind kind of wanders and then I go down certain rabbit trails. I love researching. Um, and so the other day I walked outside and... I was, I saw my neighbors on the sidewalk kind of walking and I said, Hey, how you doing? And as I'm talking to them mid sentence, I'm struck by how hot it is outside. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And they just, and then we both started talking about how warm it was. And I, I, at that moment I thought about public pools and I thought about, um, kind of my history with public pools and Spokane's history. And so I decided to do a little history lesson on public pools. Public pool history lesson. Yeah, exactly. So, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So first of all, the first pool that they believe ever recorded in history, like kind of public pool. Like was, in Greece or something? No, actually it was in modern day Pakistan. So we're talking about the third millennium BC. So 3000 BC. Um, the pool wow, was about... Really deep diving into the history of pools this is, here. This, is, this part's going to go really fast. Okay, so about 39 by 23 foot, is it's lined with bricks and covered with a tar-based sealant. 3000 BC. All right. Then you have, of course, you move into the Greeks and the Romans, <coughs> excuse me, were next, and mostly it was rich Greeks and Romans that were able to have some type of a pool. So it was public pool is maybe not as yeah. I mean it's not unlike today right like right. it costs more money to have a house with a pool that is true saying. Um, and then we moved to the 19th century so you see how I skipped past a lot of stuff yeah there. I was yeah. a little bit worried I'm like I know. you know this is only a 30 minute show right so as of 1837 there were six indoor pools with diving boards um, in London England and of course that then spurred um, lots of the uh, sports around uh, swimming and pools and things like that. And so, you know, the Olympics and again, not going into all of that. Now, quickly moving to. Yeah, we'll have to take another one of your rabbit trails to talk about the Olympics. The, They've been postponed because I believe the Summer Olympics were supposed to be in Japan right now. That's right. That's right. So, moving on. Moving on. Um, in North, in, in, in the United States, our first pool, public pool, was in 1868 in Boston. Okay, so um, the question I had was, why did we build these pools? Why, what, what spurred this on? And this is actually kind of interesting. So people used to swim in rivers and in lakes, right? Yeah. And what you had was there were also uh, young working class boys specifically um, who would go to these rivers and lakes. And guess what? 
they just stripped down naked <laughs> and they would go swimming in, in these places and they were super rambunctious. And of course, what did this do but violate the delicate sensibilities of the middle and upper class folks. So they built municipal pools were first built basically to draw the working class into enclosed areas and away from the public, the public, the, the I guess delicate... it's still the public, but at least that's yes, hilarious. I know. So that, so that was kind of like, the, so then were the first the... pools like clothing optional? I don't know the answer to that question. There's actually a book about this that probably goes into it in more depth. So if you um, really want to know about yeah. the history of public yeah, pools, you, could. you, you could. can, you can go there. <laughs> but here, and, and then here's what it really turned into. It became the primary purpose for pools was a place for working class people to bathe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Public bath. And this was long before uh, chlorine. That's so So um, there are <laughs> a lot of places where it talks about changing out the water once a week. Just imagine that for a second I'm it's just not sure that i want to i know it's pretty bad it's pretty bad so um but that was that was a big reason that we had those kinds of public pools is for for the wow. poor people and them you know think about how industrialized the united states became and people were living in the city and you know so you needed places for them to do that so oh, interesting now that is actually interesting and all pools were divided by gender and class not by race at this point, which was kind of an interesting fact that I didn't know. The first two decades, actually, of the 19th century were um, divided this way, gender and class. Hmm. So then we have Fairgrounds Park in St. Louis. It, it, is, it was as big as a football field, this, this pool. Um, and it, so the- f- uh, Wait, the pool was as big as a football yes. field? So it's 100 yards long. It was massive. Okay. Massive. The, there was, um, there's recordings of 25,000 people coming to swim in one Saturday and 25,000 people coming just to watch them swim. 25,000 people in one pool. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of people. So, it, so the interesting thing is, is that the fairgrounds was the first pool to be gender integrated. So men and women were then swimming together in these public places and at that point, that is when we started seeing racial segregation in pools as well, because um, white people didn't want black men around white women around pools. And so we started seeing segregation. Um, now, here's the thing. I want to everybody to know, I'm not engineering this history to talk about racial inequalities. No, it's just, I mean, it's just part of history. It's just everywhere. It's impossible to talk about history without running into racism. I went into this going, ooh, let's talk about Spokane pools. Ooh, let's do a little bit of history. And then, of course, you run into this. So as soon as the genders started swimming together, pools became segregated. White people wanted the, um, them to be removed. Um, the uh, South, the pools were segregated by rules and regulations. So it was very cut and dry. You could not swim um, in a in a integrated pool that was not going to be possible. But in the north, we didn't have rules and regulations. So what they did is they achieved segregation by just white swimmers regulating it, and that basically meant that they were beating black people out of pools and uh, out of the water. And there were sev- there's lots of incidents that you can find in history of this happening. 
1950, pools became desegregated, but still white swimmers, the first time it happened at fairgrounds, they beat these kids out of the pool. Um, and then what happened is that the white swimmers stopped swimming at the pools. So here's from that same place. So before 1950, fairgrounds pool took 300,000 swims per year or per summer. And they were all white Americans. After 1950, when they became desegregated, the average swims per summer were 20,000. And they were all black Americans. So 300,000. Wow people to 20,000 people. Um, and of course, I couldn't uh, have this conversation without talking about Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers <laughs> of course not. <laughs> aired an episode in 1969 where he took a stand against racial inequality in public pools, despite the fact that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 had already happened five years earlier. There was still so much segregation happening in public pools, 1969, five years before I was born. Um, Okay, now we come to Spokane. Let's All right, let's talk about so Spokane's, Spokane's pool history. Spokane's uh, first swimming pool opened in 1937, and that was Comstock Park. Um, and the goal was to have a safe place for the kids to swim. Some great pictures that shows the park with no houses around it and the pool. So the pool was there before the houses. There was a few mm. houses there on, on uh, 29th, but nothing like around the, the park at all. Um, the park was, um, and, it, and all the amenities were actually donated by Josie Comstock Shadel. She was the daughter of James and Elizabeth Comstock, owners of the Crescent Department Store and some other businesses, which I've talked about the Crescent Building before because that's part of my history as well. So did she marry a Shadel? Is that why she's I, Comstock You know Shadle? what? I didn't have time to do the research on that, but it certainly it's always, seems... That, that is actually interesting to me that all of, so many of these neighborhoods, not all of them, but... Like Comstock, I actually didn't think about the fact that it was a family sure. name, and yep. I had no idea that Shadle was a family name. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. And Cannon is probably a family name. Like oh yeah, Cannon I mean they're all. Again, we kind of talked Brown. about this that they would they would donate these, but then in turn they were getting um, <coughs> all these amenities that the city then was having to upkeep. Sure. And then they would build around it. So there was definitely some uh, well, self-interest involved in and the you can, you philanthropy. Can look at that right now with big developers and builders. Of course, there's a give and take. I'm going to do this, city, if you'll do that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, interesting. So, so her father, James Comstock, loved literature, especially Shakespeare. So a quote from The Tempest was added to the bathhouse in the Comstock bathhouse, you know about the importance of learning how to swim. It says, it says, and this quote is there, Sir, he may live. I saw him beat and the surges under him and ride upon their backs. So there you go. I guess you got to know Shakespeare to understand <laughs> that one. <laughs> Talking about being able to swim. And sure. Be that above, sounds like swimming. Be me. above the surges. I got to read about 10 so, pages of Shakespeare before I can start understanding. <laughs> I know. It does take a little bit to kind of get into the, to the verbiage. Um, in the 1980s, here's where my history converges with all of this. I spent my summers in Com at Comstock Pool. Um, we probably went to swim three to five times a week. Um, and we would always meet my cousins there and we would spend hours at the pool. I learned how to swim there with no lessons. I didn't take any lessons. I just had to figure it out. My sister's friend, 
her name was Erica as well. My sister's name is Erica. Her best friend name was Erica. She would be like, come on, we'll take you to the deep end. I won't, you know, and they were a lot taller than me because they were like four years older than me. And they would take me to the deep end. I won't let go of you. And then they would. They would throw this, not my sister, but Erica, the other friend, would throw me and then just make me like, because I couldn't swim. It was kind of terrible. But I did learn how to swim. I learned to jump off the diving board. I learned to do flips off the diving board. I'm sorry. If I was the lifeguard, because I was a lifeguard. If I was the lifeguard and saw that happening, Erica would be kneeling on the on the pavement for about two minutes Kneeling as a punishment. Pavement? Yeah, try oh, doing that. Hands behind her back? No, it doesn't oh, matter. Okay. Just kneel. I see. It's very Ooh. painful after a couple of minutes. Would you have thrown her out of the pool? I don't know. It would probably have depended on like the what the situation. rules were. but Yeah. I used to do that at Wild Waters all the time with my little rowdies. Gotcha. All right, kneel on the edge. <laughs> right here next to me. <laughs> so I also would... Um, the pool cement I thought was heated. I don't know if it actually was heated, but there was rumor going around the kids that it was heated. So you always would lie on the cement, not on your towel. So it meant you would destroy your swimsuit and you would destroy your shoulders because we had no sunblock and I had I have tons of freckles. If you, uh, in the video, you might be able to see tons of freckles and it is literally. Those are Comstock those freckles. Are, those are my Comstock freckles for sure. Um, and so, I mentioned, I, I did say, okay, I spent my whole summer, right, my summers in the 80s there, but I didn't actually. I didn't spend my summers there because, and this is where I think it's kind of interesting because there's a little bit of a nuance here, is that Comstock used to cost money to go, to go into when I was a kid. And although I don't remember exactly how much, I've been talking to my mom and we decided it was, we remember it being prohibitive. Like it was like, my mom was like, oh, I don't know, because it was it was probably somewhere around a yeah, dollar. It was like a dollar, a dollar fifty. Yeah, something like that. So it was it was you know we weren't <coughs> rich, and so we were always having to think about that. And I remember they would have ten cent days, and that of course we tried to jump on that every time there was a ten cent day that we could go swimming. But um, you know how events in your childhood stick out, like they become really like something important happens, and it like sticks in your brain. This is how I know how important this was because this sticks in my brain so much that it makes me think about it every time I think about Comstock. And that is that during the early 80s, we had a mayor named James E. Chase. And I remember him because I found out during that time that he was the one, it was, it was Mayor Chase that put through the bond that made it so that going to the swimming pools in Spokane was free. And I remember the first time I went to the pool after this momentous event <laughs> and I was, I was very shy and I remember my mom going, go on, go you know, up there. And we went up there. We didn't have any, we had some money just in case we were wrong. And we went to the kiosk and we kind of looked at the lady and kind of like looked at our money and she's like, no, go ahead and go on through. They just waved us through. And I remember being thrilled and excited about this and meant, meant what it meant for my future. <laughs> um, and that is, that is when I really began to spend my summers at Comstock Park. And I, I think about this now, because right now, Comstock is closed. And that has got to be really hard. Sure, for all those kids that all those are used kids to go in there. You're going to have to be running through sprinklers and having a backyard pool, however big or small it is. We have a tiny little one right now that my, we made our son get in the other day. Um, He's not impressed. We'll certainly be looking forward to when that opens again. 
And well, that... There you go. Thanks for sharing all about pools welcome. from the beginning of time until My own our backyard tiny pool. <laughs> uh, well, before we jump into uh, home inspections, let's talk about our featured house. Okay. So we have a featured listing right now at 7210 North Country Homes Boulevard. Yep. This is a three bed, three bath house. Oh, I didn't write the price down. I think it's like two forty nine nine. You're gonna have to go to our Facebook page. I believe page it's two seventy nine. Check it out. Try two seventy nine nine. It's in the two hundreds, but go to our Facebook page. That's a good little teaser. Uh, <laughs> three bed, three bath. It's two thousand forty eight square feet. Uh, it's a daylight rancher on a quarter acre lot, so mm -hmm. it's a really big lot, mm -hmm. huge yard. Uh, one of the really interesting features about this mm -hmm. property is that it has a basement guest suite that you oh, yeah. can access through the garage and the current owners are actually using it as an Airbnb. And last year they averaged $800 a month in Airbnb income. And it's, they, you know, it doesn't have they, a kitchen. I should no, mention it's not, that. It but, does not have a kitchen, but well, but I mean, they're renting it out and averaging 800 bucks. I mean, it's 50 it's bucks amazing. a night. So without a kitchen, that's cheaper than a hotel. Yeah. Anyway, sure. um, an interesting, whether that's an in-law setup or just a guest suite, mm -hmm. or you want to supplement the income, maybe you need to be able to expand what you can afford. That's an idea. So check and it, it out. A, and it has a two-car garage. Just thought I mentioned it. And, and I believe it has like a little separate parking off to the side as well. So there's lots of space. Uh, 7210 North Country Homes Boulevard. Uh, check it out on our Facebook. You can just search us at Evoreal, E-V-O-R-E-A-L. Let's talk about home inspections. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I often talk about or use the phrase that writing an offer to purchase a home is really simply just opening the conversation mm -hmm. around confirming that this is the house that you want to buy. Right. The home inspection is the biggest part of your confirmation. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is that when you write an offer, there are lots of things that you've built into that offer or that your broker has built into mm -hmm. that offer so that you can make sure that this is the property, not that you're out writing willy-nilly offers. But, you know, it's a big deal, but you do have a lot of investigation. So actually, Jessica, I heard you on the phone the other day with some of your buyers, and okay. I loved what you said. You said, Ooh. so the inspection that we're about to do on your home is really three inspections. Yes. What did you mean by that? So I, um, this is extremely important because you realize that when people are going into purchasing a home, they either are doing it for the first time or they're doing it first time in years and so they don't really remember all the ins and outs so instead of just saying you're going to have an inspection I talk about three inspections so we have the home inspection obviously everyone kind of knows about that one I recommend in our area that you do a radon inspection and most of the time your home inspector will also do a radon inspection and that's an inspection where you put a little I'm going to say device device is probably the wrong word but device in the house and it has to be left undisturbed for 48 hours. So you have to leave it there and then come back and get it. Um, and that's, that's not real expensive. And then the third one that I recommend to everyone is a sewer inspection. And that is basically you call a company and they do what's called a sewer scope. You can be there for that. The cool thing about it is they basically take a camera, they put it down into the sewer and you can literally watch that camera go all the way out to the street. Um, and so you, you want to investigate that because a lot of times you don't just have things like um, uh, roots that can penetrate through the sewer, but you also have just really some really bad material that was used, especially right after World War II. It's called Orangeburg. Which I am going to get into, believe okay. it or not. Okay, I shouldn't... No, no, that's okay. I mean, okay. that's what I, I, was, I was curious. Like, 
I mean, I knew the different inspections, but that's yeah. a phrase that you've used when talking with buyers because it's really important for a buyer to understand that you're not just paying for one inspection. That's you're right. probably paying for three to make sure that right. this is the right And house. the radon and the um, sewer inspection are not super expensive. Um, they're not, they probably combined a little bit less than your home inspection. So, yeah. So let's just break down those three different inspections. Okay. I'm going to start with radon. So radon, right. for those of you that don't know what radon is, it's a naturally occurring radioactive gas uh, that can cause lung cancer. Yay. Maybe you want Fun. to know if you have high levels of it in the house you're buying. Yes. Especially uh, so if you it's have a, kids it's, sleeping in the basement. It's inert. It's colorless. It's odorless. You basically cannot tell that it's there without some sort of a test. Right. So um, it comes from the breakdown of naturally occurring radioactive elements like uranium or thorium. Uh, in soils and rocks. Okay. Now I have found, and I don't know this like from like tons of data, but my own experience has told me that it's more prevalent in the valley, in mm. Spokane Valley. And I think that it probably has to do with the fact that that is an old ancient riverbed and there's probably a lot of radioactive mm. decomposition going on in there. So Interesting. that's... Matt's I mean, you're kind of making unfounded, it up, but... <laughs> well, you know, say it with confidence. Um, so... Radon, you, you measure it. There are safe levels and unsafe levels, obviously. Right. Uh, and there are ways to mitigate it. So most newer homes will have some form of a radon mitigation system mm -hmm. just built into it. It probably is code at this point. Yeah. Um, I know when my dad built his house in the early 90s out in the valley, like that was one of the things that he put in was a radon mitigation system. Mm -hmm. And so there was uh, basically just very porous rock. Mm -hmm. And then he put like black PVC pipe that had holes in it like mm -hmm. throughout the entire before they poured the concrete right. basement foundation mm -hmm. and then they probably covered it again with more porous rock and then they poured the basement floor mm. and so what happened is you had this system of pipes through the basement floor that came up into a single pipe that mm -hmm. then after the house was built he ran up through the roof and then you have this gravity system that just allows for the radon gas to just evacuate out the pipe without going into the home interesting so it's the, kind of a a, not an active Yeah, system. it would be more of a, I'll call it a gravity system for okay. lack of better terminology. Mm. Uh, this The newer, or sorry, retrofitted systems, right. those tend to be, you know, they're coming in after a foundation and a basement are already done. Yep. They tend to, they cut into the concrete and they have fans that mm -hmm. they put on them. Yeah. Um, my dad's obviously one of those systems, if the radon level was high, too high still, you could Put a fan on that that would pull more out right so um anyway that's kind of the what the systems look like as far as retrofitting they're anywhere from 1500 to three thousand dollars is what i've seen yeah that's about um, right that's about and again right. if you're buying a home and you have people that are going to be living in the basement and the radon levels are really high it's worth either budgeting or negotiating that into your contract yes so let's talk about sewer scope um so you described it mm -hmm. it is a plumber Mm -hmm. that sends a camera down you know through the sewer line all the way out to the street mm -hmm. to see what's going on and there's some of the obvious things like older homes and you know they'll have joints of pipes and roots are trying to go into that because mm -hmm. there's water that might be leaking out and orangeburg in the spokane area and actually it's not just spokane yeah, it's, it's everywhere well orangeburg is actually little little known fact maybe little known is a city it is in New York. As there a you go, of fact. and that's where they made the the pipes. So here's so here's the history of it from okay. 1945 to 1972. <gasps> history. I know, You're I know. Doing we're like, God, we're, we've already done so much history. Come on, bring it on. I want to hear about it. So the th three major things that you're um, looking for when you do a sewer scope, you're looking at material, 
um, you're looking for damage or you're looking for something that's a very old system. I remember a house years ago that was technically still hooked up to an old cesspool system and didn't actually connect to the sewer. That's right. I remember that actually. So, uh, that was one of our houses and we didn't actually figure that out until we couldn't get the water, the plumbing sewer to go away. That's correct. So... We didn't scope that and wished we had because now we had to connect to the sewer in the street. Really expensive. Uh, So anyway, 1945 to 1972, Orangeburg, New York. And it was because of World War II. They were trying to get as much steel and metal, and that is what your sewer pipes were made out of the time. And so they came up with an alternative product. Essentially, what Orangeburg is, is like an asphalt-soaked paper and pulp. That is the type of material. We actually, what we call it is glorified cardboard. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. It's like, it's basically a tar paper pipe. Right. And, you know, hindsight, 2020, paper, even that which is soaked with tar and asphalt (laughs) with lots of water running over it is eventually going to deform, add to it the pressure of all of the earth on it and... And and uh, you know roots that want to get through it and, and roots but really the greater issue is the collapsing of the pipe sure so Orangeburg is a big deal one thing we'll post these websites on our web on our Facebook page but mm-hmm. there are a couple of websites both for the city and the county that you can look at the sewer drawings figure out when it was installed what material it was installed with and I'll give you a hint OBG equals Orangeburg so if you want to and there are other actually there are other abbreviations for it I can't remember but I have had to call the city and say hey what does this abbreviation mean and they're like oh that's Orangeburg too (laughs) I'm like darn it so they they have a tendency to also blister so so without collapsing you can tell and you get a good sewer scope person to show you this, you can start to see these like blisters coming up through that. And then the, I'm sorry, I don't know how much you're going going into No, just go for it. But it's important that you find out this information and the hope is that then you can negotiate because once the seller knows that information, they know that information. They're gonna have to pass it along to the next person. And so um, if you can find out that information, you can then negotiate, hopefully, um, either fixing it or giving you uh, maybe a seller concession that will help put money back into your pockets. So yeah, because those are check. thousands, 7500 to oh. $15,000. Oh, yeah. The last one I, we got a bid for was, I believe, $8,300. And I think we may have gotten another one for $6,300 for the same one. But it is expensive. Yeah, it dep- there's so many variables. Are you going to have to dig into the street? Are yeah. you going to be able to do what they call a pipe burst? So anyway, yeah. it's a big deal. And for 100 to $150 to run a camera down there and know you're not going to inherit a $10,000 problem. Yeah, because insurance, 100% worth it. Your insurance isn't going to cover it. Nope. And they will not cover Orangeburg. As soon as they know it's Orangeburg, they're going to be like, sorry, we knew it was probably going to fail. So that's excluded from your policy. That's right. <clears throat> so a really important inspection the general inspection obviously is the next one yeah and the reality is i think most people understand the general inspection but just a couple of thoughts as we're kind of getting closer to the end of the show here um it really is very important to be at your inspection if you can just because you're going to learn so much about your house Mm -hmm. so quick shout out to george anderson from building techs we've worked with him for a a lot of years but he is great as i'm sure many inspectors are at educating the buyer on everything from it may not be a deal breaker it may not even be something they need to take care of but for example just the other day he's like 
just so you know, that garage door doesn't lock. Like, the mechanism doesn't go all the way in and it doesn't lock. And he, he looks at those small details mm-hmm. on every level. Um, but So that's really important. But it, really, the idea behind a general inspection is to really kind of deep dive into what the major issues are. Mm-hmm. So major ticket items, things that are going to be super expensive, uh, deferred maintenance, things that maybe you're not thinking about that you're going to have to pay that are going to be big ticket items in the next three to five years, Uh, safety issues, and then of course hidden items that you wouldn't know about so that you could go kind of eyes wide open is the idea. Um, So let's just talk about some of the major systems. Heat, obviously. Heating cooling, right? Yep. HVAC, which, you know, may or may not be ducting but you know how are you heating how are you cooling if, if there's cooling plumbing is really important uh, electrical and then just the structure itself so uh, for example again another example from a recent inspection there are some breaker boxes that yes. have noted to be a hundred percent they don't trip no matter what and are a massive massive fire issue I'm not going to know that. You as a buyer unless you're an electrician probably aren't going to know that and mm-hmm. that's the that's the thing is you know, your inspector's going to say, hey, this is a major safety issue. Yes. You're going to need to replace this. Um, your insurance company may not even insure you once they figure that is, is there. Mm-hmm. And to replace a service like that can be $3,500 and sometimes more if they yeah. have to adjust the mast. So, Yeah, no, that, those are big. And the roof. I know you said structure, and I think that that is... Um, yeah. Walls, foundation, siding, roofing, all that kind of stuff. So, gotcha. I think that's it for our show today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. You know where to find us, 509-62-HOUSE or E-V-O-R-E-A-L on any of the social channels.